Hey everyone, before we get into our episode, I want to give a quick shout out on our YouTube channel. That's right, TFA Soft Skills now has a YouTube channel. We have a new segment titled Relatable on the Go. In these episodes, we've taken the most salient pieces of advice from our esteemed guests and edited them together in a segment that is less than 15 minutes. We've included video from these interviews as well as key takeaways. We hope you enjoy this new content. Please visit our channel, TFA Soft Skills, subscribe, and leave comments. Another great way for all of us to stay connected. New on-the-go episodes will drop on the third Tuesday of each month. And next up is Aza from Big Brother Season 23. Don't want to miss that. Now on to our regularly scheduled program. Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I speak with Anjanette Haynes, a dear friend and managing director at Deloitte. AJ and I met very early in our careers, and at one point she was my supervisor. Later we became peers, and now we have a mutual admiration for where we landed. I'm excited for you to hear about her journey and path. How has curiosity served her? What was the moment that she changed the trajectory of my career? And how has vulnerability made her a better leader? Listen in to hear this and so much more. Enjoy this episode. Thank you for being here. So excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. And we've talked a couple of times about maybe getting you on the show. And we, we were just talking. We've known each other. You, you did the fast math. You're better. You've always been better at that. Like 27? 27. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> a long, it's a really long time. But, you know, you're someone, I know I've told you the story, but I'm going to come out of the gate with the story because I feel like it is something that I think really this may be a dramatic word, but it transformed our working relationship. But it's something that I talk about all of the time when I'm giving examples and trainings and workshops where when I first started working with you or for you, it was in a new capacity, in a new role that it was a new, new group. So we didn't have a lot of proven like ground for like infrastructure or methodologies or things that we knew how to do. So uh, I'm going to say that in my defense before I tell the story, <laughs> but, um, but I had uh, like, I had made a huge mistake, like a, a, like a big mistake that was significant. And I think cost a lot of people time and effort and, um, and you and I kind of worked through that mistake, but I always felt like that was hanging over my head. Like I couldn't, even though time had passed and I had done other things and I had done them well, that like there was this, you know, kind of energy between us that I couldn't get past. And I, I'll never forget this. I don't even know if this was a moment for you because it was. it's usually more a moment for the person that's maybe feeling that way. But I was, remember I was standing in the middle of my um, like efficiency apartment and I, we were having a discussion about something. And I said, you know, I said to you, I said, I feel like I can't get out from under this mistake that I, that, that like, that I'm always going to be colored by this. And your reaction was, that's absolutely not true. And not like you didn't say to me, you've created a story, 
but but you're like that's not at all how I think and I've moved on and we addressed it and that wasn't all you like I tended to sort of take on ownership for that whole thing when part of it was me but part of it wasn't and so I use that example of you know I was really nervous to say that to you as my supervisor at the time and I was really nervous to be vulnerable and I think you probably had no idea that I was stewing on that or that I felt that way. And I think being like putting yourself out there, creating some transparency and being able to communicate with people, it, it's like a light bulb, right? And so for me, after that conversation, you know, that was early on in our professional relationship. And then I feel like, and I always tell the story, I'm like, Anjanette would probably stand in front of a bus for me now. Oh, yeah. And I would for you. And I really think for me, it kind of goes back to that moment to where I sort of told you how I was feeling and you reciprocated in kind and it charted a path. So I don't know if you remember that or not, but it, for me, it was pretty meaningful. I don't necessarily remember that moment. I remember the situation, but what I remember about the situation was not the mistake, but what you did after and Mm -hmm. how you moved on from it. And so, you know, I think that's much more telling about somebody than than how they operate in the moment. It's like, what do you do to learn and grow and move forward? Yeah. You know, I certainly have made a ton of mistakes in my career, you know, as, but when I look back on those situations, that's when I learned the most. And so I consider the same about people who work with me, that they're in the same situation. Yeah. And I think we're both conscientious, want to, you know, I, I would love to say we're high achieving. It sounds self-serving, but, <laughs> but I, I, you know, we want to achieve we you know we're we're conscientious and i think for people that are like that 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 want to do well and try to do well sometimes that's hard when you have those moments that you failed or it's hard to to bounce back or to be not to bounce back necessarily but to let go of it and move on so so we have um similar paths in that we both have worked in human resources and or in talent function for a long time tell me now you know a day in the life for you it's probably hard to fully characterized because I know a little bit about what you do and I know there's probably a million different things away a day could go for you. But if you could give us just a snapshot, maybe of like, you know, your overall responsibility, what you're responsible for and then what a day is like. Yeah. So I'm responsible for um, what I'll call, it's our talent services organization for the organization I work for. And that encompasses a lot of a variety of different talent responsibilities, lots of different trying to articulate this, but, 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 you know, they're all under the HR umbrella, but they're different work streams or different areas of expertise within, mm-hmm. within, within talent. And so my day is, I think like most people, not really typical. Um, I spend a lot of time shifting gears. So because my span has lots of different discipline areas, I change gears every half hour, every hour about the subject matter that I'm getting engaged with. And so it keeps it super interesting and fresh. I was just talking to someone earlier today and I read an article that, you know, the more that you change gears, the more likely you are to like have issues with memory, et cetera, later in life. So probably going to have some memory issues later in life. That's my takeaway. Well, it's interesting. This just came up in a workshop I had the other day around context switching. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting in your role, you work for a very large organization and then even those in smaller or mid-sized organizations, depending on where you sit, you still have to context switch because you may be scrubbing in on a bunch of things in a smaller company 
while you're in a larger company, but you have a multidisciplinary team and that, you know, and being, and I think there's context switching between the what of the job in terms of what the discipline is. And then there's context switching from personalities. Oh yeah. And how do you customize those conversations because they're going to be different. So it's double, you're like double dipping in that respect, I think. And also the role that I play in the conversations, because sometimes I'm an observer, sometimes I'm a coach, sometimes I'm the person that drives us to a decision, you know, sometimes I'm, you know, fill in the blank. So I have to change roles in each conversation I have. One of the things that I have observed with you that I think you do exceptionally well, and it's something that I feel I am still a work in progress, even at this stage. And I'm curious for you when when you started to do it more and if you if you changed it over the years. So one of the things I think you're, I mean, this is, you're good at a lot of things, but one thing is around delegation and empowering people. So I, I see it as like, you are someone who not only is a delegator, like delegate, delegates tasks, but this idea of really empowerment, delegating authority. And I think interestingly, like when you and I were peers and, you know, I could, I could see it sometimes I thought, you know, because I'm, I think I have more of a tendency to index on the doing. And if I like roll up my sleeve and I'm in the boat with the people, that's a way that I garner followership. So I'm curious, not to say that you you don't roll up your sleeve, but, but I do think you've met, I don't know if you agree with me, but you're nodding. <laughs> but if it's something you've worked on, is it something that at some point you saw someone do well and you're like, oh, that's how you do that, you know, in terms of being able, because I think it, if done well, you do create followership and I think it creates efficiencies for you and your team. And, you know, there's lots of positives to being able to do that well. Yeah. And it's deliberate. It's been deliberate. And the reason I, I try to learn something and take away something from every important relationship I have. So every time I work for somebody, I take something away from the way that that person led me or managed me. And early in my career, I kind of had two different situations. One was someone who really just delegated a lot to me. And one thing that's been a consistent part of my journey is that I'm always hungry to learn and I'm always hungry to do new things. And I kind of get bored easily. Mm-hmm. And so I like to to try something new or go to do something completely different. Um, that's something I enjoy doing. And so I had one situation with a manager early in my career who was great about that. That person delegated a lot of things to me, gave me a lot of autonomy to do it. I felt like I learned and grew, grew in that capacity. And I also was you know, more satisfied with my work. And so I apply that to people that work for me, that it's not me shoving work off on people. It's me creating an opportunity for somebody else to grow. The flip experience was someone who did not give me autonomy and did not give me stretch work and was not, you know, didn't give me the freedom to do things the way that I felt like they needed to be done. And that was a very negative experience for me. Mm. And I don't want to create that experience for others. I've gotten a lot better at it as I've gotten more tenured. I think early on I was better with delegating, but not as good about letting go the way that the work was done. I'm much better about that now. Whereas, you know, I just care about the work getting done. It doesn't have to be done my way. Yes. That part is, that part is hard. And I think that part is a struggle for a lot of leaders. And even those that are more tenured or, or just new leaders, that idea of like, 
I know it's that I got, I got here because I was exceptional at doing these things. And now I have to rely on someone else and they're not going to do it the way that I do it. You know, maybe not even to my standards, yet it's still getting done. Other people seem to still appreciate it. You, you know, it's like almost like you have to, it's a mindset or you have to talk yourself into it to let it go. Well, and I remember having a coaching conversation with someone who had just assumed a leadership position and she was really struggling with how much was on her plate. And so she was giving me an example of something that I had given her to do. And she's like, I just don't have time. And I said, I remember saying to her, just because it's on your plate doesn't mean you have to do it. You have to make sure it gets done. And I still remember the look on her face because it was I mean, if there was a light bulb, it would be over her head. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you just need someone to point that out to you, that your responsibility is not to do the work. Your responsibility is to make sure the work gets done and to enable the way that the work gets done. And you can be creative because sometimes you don't have a huge team to choose from. Right. Sometimes you don't have a lot of money for resources. So there are other ways than just you have to do it, you, you know, but it requires you to pause and think, oh, maybe there's some other options or be creative about that. So you've had a career mostly in, in human resources. Tell me a little bit about like, was that your path? Did you know that's what you wanted to do? How did you find yourself there? My first job ever, I was a file clerk at a <laughs> telemarketing office back when we had telemarketers and not <laughs> robocallers. And I, the office manager was my friend's mother. She hired us to file for the summer when there were things to file back right. in those days. And the telemarketers were interesting personalities. And my friend's mother, I thought she was so cool because she just handled all the personalities and she just managed the office. And I was like, when I grow up, I want to go into business and I want to work with people. And I had no idea what that meant. Right. But right. I made a series of decisions. I studied management in college. Um, right out of school, the best job offer I had was to be an assistant manager at a Chili's. So I was an assistant manager for a Chili's for about nine months. I could make an onion blossom. That's my fun fact. <laughs> um, but then I went on to the temp agency where you and I first crossed paths. Mm -hmm. And that really gave me a grounding in HR and, and core fundamental things about hiring and you know staffing and those sorts of things. And then I ended up getting hired by one of my clients. And yeah. have been, you know, in professional services doing HR for 27 years. Yeah, for a long <laughs> time. A long time yeah. It's interesting. I feel like for those that are interested in human resources or even like human resources adjacent, like when you think of internal roles to organizations that help them run and help them function, I feel like there is in the professional services world, which is where you and I spend a lot of time it's such a meaty role for talent people because people are their product. So if anyone out there that's listening to this is thinking about like how to pursue that or where, where maybe end state or goal state, like those organizations, I feel like whether they're midsize or big firms, you really get to kind of roll your sleeves in. You can be a business advisor, you know, all the juicy parts, at least from my perspective, it's such a great environment and a playground because there is a belief in supporting people, you know, educating, developing that apprenticeship model. Like that's all kind of baked in. And so it's really, it's really neat. So I went from, as you know, like I went from spending so much time in professional services and then went to like effectively a retailer, you might call it that. And it was so different. I mean, dr dramatically different in terms of how 
HR was treated, in terms of the talent function, in terms of, you know, the way it influenced outcomes. And so I, I don't know, I see you're nodding. Like, I think for it, for me anyway, it was like, it's such a great opportunity. And, and maybe like only because I had a friend who had a friend that put her in that situation that I had that opportunity because I didn't really know to pursue that. Maybe it's better known now, but it's certainly a great place to learn and grow for sure. Yeah, and I lucked into it because yeah. one of my, you know, one of my clients hired me basically, and uh, so in the midst of the professional services, I had about eighteen months at a, you know, at a technology firm which did not have the same investment in their people, mm -hmm. and that was a big eye opener for me because I was used to not only being at the table and, and being a valued business advisor, but also having the opportunity to really have an interesting, fulfilling path and career as a talent professional. And so I got back to that professional services space as soon as possible. Um, and, you know, all the things you said are absolutely true. And I like to tell people that on my team that, you know, it's not just that this organization is a great organization, but the opportunities that we have to have exciting, interesting, and varied careers. Mm -hmm. you know, I think people think HR is narrow and it's so broad. There's so many different things to do. And over the course of my career, I've had a chance to do almost all of it. And that's, it's exciting and it keeps me interested. For sure. And I think the idea that like you have impact and you're able to influence things and see things and people <laughs> and events and, and it, it affects business from a, profitability standpoint and affects the business in real ways that are quantifiable. And I think sometimes it's thought of or referred to as like, I think we're getting better, but like the back office idea mm -hmm. or that it's just sort of the operation support versus like, oh, we're really integral to the, how this business operates. So I think it's come a, a really long way. Let's talk a little bit too about your career. So you've spent, I guess, close to, are you like, how many years have you been where you are now? 19. 19, yeah. yeah. I was... <laughs> it goes fast. <laughs> and has it always been, like, you are someone that I observed, like, for the most part, as someone who w rose quickly, I would say, in terms of areas of responsibility, given great leadership positions, given opportunities to um, take on new challenges. Like, it seemed like things for you were always at a, like, pretty easy clip. Uh, I don't know if it was easy getting there, but it just, I mean, not that you're not a, a hard worker, but... Was it always easy peasy? Was the path always clear? Like, tell me a little bit about how that's worked for you. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information. I wish it was all easy peasy. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I don't because, as I said earlier, I learned the most when it's not easy. So I was, you know, I think the first 10 years with my current company kind of working towards a path. I had a path forward. I thought I knew <clears throat> what I wanted to do. I was pursuing one particular role. And when I ended up getting that role, it was not what I thought it was going to be. It just, it wasn't a, it wasn't a positive experience. I wasn't my best self. I wasn't showing up for my team the way I wanted to show up. I was very much in my own, in my own way, in my own brain. And again, going back to the example we talked about at the earlier with you, mm -hmm. you know, once I realized that that wasn't working and made the right steps to make a change and to pivot my career, it did get a lot easier. 
because I had been driving towards this goal that I thought was what I wanted, but it wasn't really the job that gave, that strengthened me. I didn't feel comfortable in it. I didn't feel like I was delivering the way I needed to deliver. Ended up making a pivot into more of the operations side of the house. And that is apparently where a lot of my strengths are. And I really, yeah. the difference, the way I felt at the end of the day, doing something that I love and that I'm really, really good at versus something that I thought I liked that I really had to struggle to deliver at. It's completely different. It's it's how much I have to give at the end of the day. I'm not depleted. I'm not exhausted. Mm-hmm. I have energy. I look back and have a positive view of my day. And so that has made a huge change for me. It's just finding that place where I can thrive. How was that for you when it wasn't working and that had been your goal for so long in terms of, like, how much did the pivot rattle you? Oh, I was mortified. I was, yeah devastated, mortified. I felt like I failed. I felt like everybody thought that I had failed. I thought that was what people would remember about me. I thought I was going to have to leave and go to another organization because I didn't think I'd ever be able to recover. So, and I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier, very hard on myself. Yeah. You know, I very much am programmed to succeed, programmed to do a great job. You know, anything that's less than that feels like a failure. And so I had to kind of get out of my own way mm-hmm. to realize, you know, I had a choice. I could go somewhere else and basically do the job that I had been doing for my current company, but somewhere else, which I already said, I didn't like that job or yeah. pivot and do something different within this organization that had been my home for 10 years. And so I took path B and it was with not really, I would say path B too, wasn't necessarily a slam dunk of this is going to be the route for you, right? There was some unknown, like the path A where you thought like you've seen people do it that way and that Mm -hmm. was the path and it was much clearer. Now it's like, here's path B, Eh, good good luck. Like you didn't know us, right? I I don't know if you necessarily knew the outcome. I didn't, but my my mentality changed because I was less focused on the outcome. And so I made a decision. I said, if I'm going to stay here and go with this path B, which was, not really an area I'd ever worked before, mm-hmm. but something that I ended up, you know, having a, a expertise at or a, yeah. a strength at. Didn't know anything content-wise about the part of talent that I was working in at the time. It was really kind of a leap of faith, but I felt well supported. But I was like, listen, I'm going to focus on doing my job, doing my job well, enjoying what I do, showing up for my people and enabling my team, and that's all I'm going to worry about. And that was a pivot for me because it took the pressure off myself to drive to a certain goal. I'm not sure I would recommend this approach to everybody, but I never talked about my career after that. I just did my job and showed up for my team and tried to do the best things that I could do. And I was approached about the next step to my career. I never asked anybody. I never told anybody that was my goal. So again, not sure I would necessarily Mm -hmm. say that's everybody's path, but that's how it worked for me. And my takeaway is, when I focused on doing something that I love, everything else fell into place. I agree completely. And I feel like depending on where you're working or how you're wired, it can be really hard to do what you just described, which is you spend so much time early in your career, because I think you do have to prove your value. And so you're earlier that first 10 years showing your value, showing that you can achieve results, you know, being able to make impact, those things are important. That doesn't just, you know, you have to work at that. 
the, then the idea of like, am I happy? Am I fulfilled? Does this strengthen me in a way that it's allowing me to be better for whichever group I'm working with and for? And I found the same thing, different, different path for me after leaving, similar in the sense that like connecting to the core of what feels right and feels good and still working as hard or, you know, having it just, it's like, you know, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like, or that it can feel like this. And it doesn't have to feel like such a, um, I don't know, pressure cooker is the right word, but like square peg, round hole, or like you're forcing something unnaturally. I work as hard, but I'm not as exhausted. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's the only way I can really describe it. It's just the feeling of what depletes me and what doesn't deplete me. I still work really hard, obviously, but I don't feel like it takes everything out of me. What would you say during that time? Because I think a lot of people can relate to this, especially if you're at a crossroads or maybe you want something in an organization and you're not getting it, or maybe you feel like you're positioned well for something and the right, you know, the people that are in charge and the decision makers <laughs> don't agree, or, you know, you're just, it's like you're at sort of, it's incongruent in terms of what you want and they want. At that time for you, what helped you reset or what, what were some of the factors that allowed you to get to that place? Can you remember? I mean, I know it's been a minute. I think one of my strengths is I'm fairly introspective. Hmm. And so, you know, when I was in the situation that wasn't working, I could call it and I could say it wasn't working. And I think that I realized part of what I was, it wasn't hundred percent of what I was doing, but part of what I was doing was a means to an end. I had a career objective. I thought I could meet it in that path. Like you said, there wasn't a defined career objective path in the other, in the, where I ended up. And I think realizing that that desire had put me in a path where I wasn't successful mm -hmm. is what changed the pivot for me. And that that's what pivoted in my mind is that, Oh, I need to be looking at this differently. And I need to be focused on, I spend, you know, X number of hours a week doing this, I need to be focused on what I want to do and what I like to do versus what I think is going to get me what I think I want. And do you think too, I feel like I observed this with you, but I also think it's kind of helpful is I felt like at that time you had, how do I say this? Like a more balanced perspective of the whole thing. So like did, and I like did work define you previously? Right. Because it certainly did me. So I'm, it's not like I'm <laughs> trying to call you out. But but then this idea of like, oh, I'm more than just this job. Right. I'm more than just how I achieve in this job. Getting to that objective, it's just like getting thin or being great at a sport. Or like if I can just do this one thing, then it will mean I'm right. fill in the blank. And perhaps like, I feel like what I observe, you can tell me if you felt this way, it's almost like you, you gained your own sort of self back in a way to say, well, these are the things that are important to me. And I'm, because it sort of could all be taken away and you'd already spent so much time, you know, giving of yourself and your energy and your time to, to the organization. So it's kind of like, you can give all the time and energy and it may not get the outcome that you want. So you got to have that balance of like, are you still serving yourself in some capacity, whether it's personally, you know, taking big, you know, taking vacations and, you know, being aware of how you feel with your mental health and being able to say no to certain things and 
to not you know, have boundaries. Like, I feel like I, as someone that was close to you, like I observed those changes too. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. And I think one of the things that helped me continue to pivot or, or to move along that pivot was once the dust cleared and I was in a new role, I, was, I realized how much I learned mm. and how much of a better talent professional yeah. I was because of that experience. And so that helped too, because it helped me realize you know, everything's a learning experience and all of it's things that you put in your toolbox to use later. And so just because that didn't work out the way I thought it was going to or the way I wanted it to doesn't mean that it didn't bring me value and that I don't bring value because of it. Yeah. And I would also say, just because I think it's fair, there's an ego component to the whole thing that um, if you could talk to the 25-year-old self from the ego thing and just say, Man, it just doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter. But I think it's so hard when you're trying with a lot of energy and enthusiasm to show that you care and to show that you're adding value. The ego can't help but like be part of that. And it seems like only now, and you talk to a lot of other people our age, and we, I feel like a lot, a lot of women, I mean, I don't know if men have this issue or not, but a lot of women anyway that sort of look back and be like, man, I would have just like just relax a little bit and it doesn't, it's not all so serious and maybe get out, get out of your own way. The ego sort of gets in the way. It does. And one of the things, you know, I probably the first few years, I never talked about that situation. And Mm. then I realized how much telling that story can help the people that I lead or the people that I coach, because, you know, we're humans, but, you know, I have this 30 year career and that's the thing that I was fixating on, but it was 18 months of a 30 year career. And so as I coach people or as the people on my team who encounter situations that don't go as well as they think they Mm -hmm. should, I can talk to them about my experience and, and, you know, how I reframed it. I can also coach people who are very career driven. And say things like, don't take this job because it's a means to an end. If you're, if you're pursuing this job, it needs to be because it's something that you love to do or that you're interested in conquering. But don't think about what it might bring you later because that will not end well. That's, you can't fake it. You can't fake in it. In that environment, for yeah, sure. Like, it's just it. too, there's a lot of expectation. And, and so you got to be able to really like it. Yeah. <laughs> to like stay with it. So let's shift a little bit in terms of whether it was at that time or at other periods in life, was there ever, and that might be the moment, but any like particular mentor or situation that's really shaped or changed how you've evolved or looked at things? Um, You know, you did meet that career objective eventually. I'm curious if like that level, now, now that you're in that level, is it what you thought it would be? Is it different? You know, so I just asked you two questions, but I mean, maybe first start with the shaping question around like, is there any person or event other than that that has really informed or shaped your experience? I'm very fortunate. There's a lot of people who have shaped my experiences. And, you know, I think we take something from everybody that we work with or for, and some of it's positive, some of it's not. Most of mine has been positive. I'm not sure I understand. That was good old Siri. (laughs) Siri doesn't understand. So let me explain it further. (laughs) Uh, 
Um, but the ones that I feel like were most pivotal to me, uh, so so two things. One is when I did up and end up in a situation where I was looking to pivot within my organization, there were two people in particular who helped me through that pivot, who made sure that I landed in a place that was the right place for me. Mm. Um, one of which who even said when I ended up in the role, the immediate next role said, I heard this role is opening. You need to go get that job. And I said, I don't know anything about that. And she said, it doesn't matter. Go get that job. And so that's one. But so that really helped me realize that there were people who saw my value and, and could see things that I couldn't see about where that value could come to light. Mm -hmm. And so that was one. But I think the people that have had the best impact on me are the ones that give me the most direct feedback. And I went through a situation where for a lot of my career, I didn't get any substantial feedback. Everything's great. You're great. Keep doing what you're doing, right. et cetera. Nothing concrete. And I had one leader who I'm not going to name because we don't want to give her more, more <laughs> ego, but I'm joking because we both know who I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah. But you know, she, she would really give me very strong yeah. and specific feedback in the flow of work. And she would say hmm. things like, I don't know if you realize that you do this, but when you talk towards the end of a thought, your voice tapers off and it sounds like you're not confident and you lose the room when you do that. Great feedback. I had no idea that I did that. She said to me, when we are in a meeting and everybody's throwing out ideas, you always speak last. But when you speak last, you say something that could have changed the whole course of the conversation. So you need to speak up earlier and more mm. and more often and more forcefully. Again, I'm an introvert. I'm shy. I like to listen first and then speak. But this, you know, this feedback made me realize that I was not just that I wasn't being as impactful for me, but for others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, so that, that really direct, concrete, specific feedback, that's what I think has, helps me grow. Teresa's new book, Soft Skills I Learned the Hard Way, is out and available on Amazon. She writes about many epic fails throughout her career and how she learned from them so you don't have to. This book is full of cheat codes for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get a promotion, or being a first-time leader. As always, thank you, Relatable Community. We are so grateful for your support and continued listenership. As of today... We are 8,000 listeners and 15 countries strong. Now back to the show. I just, I think flashbacks to being on calls with you and you saying, I'm processing. <laughs> I'm processing, which is great because when there's that you're a thinker and a processor in the moment. And we're, we're, you and I are different in that way. Like I'm much more, I, I don't know that I'm always an outward processor, but I am quicker to respond and say what I, my reaction is, or, you know, and rather than the dead air, because with, with dead air, you're like, what's happening with the person? What's going on? Why isn't she saying anything? Do you know why I do that? Because somebody who worked for me told me that. She's like, somebody says something, you don't respond and they're terrified because they don't know what's going on in your head. So you need to tell them that you're processing. And I still work with this person. And sometimes I still sometimes do that. And she'll pop that and go, she's processing. Just give her a minute. I mean, it's great to have a shorthand, you yeah. know, because sometimes it's not, 
I just think we could avoid a lot of uh, duplicative, you know, duplicate efforts or lost time if we were we knew each other a little better, or you could have those shortcuts. That's like, oh, there's nothing nefarious, or it's not like you're, you know, thinking something about a human. It's just you're processing. You're just taking that information in, and you're, you know, going through it. In terms of uh, where you are now, I'm interested because you have a large team and you have a lot of different, you have access, I would say, from, from an observation standpoint to see different levels of competency and different levels of aptitude. Um, so what do you see now in terms of the current workforce and as people are coming into the workforce that what, I'll ask you two things, one, that, that gives you hope. Like, cause you, you have access and observations to, to like a wide swath of talent, both here and in India, I would say. And then, you know, kind of conversely, is there anything that makes you a little nervous that if people are interviewing or people are going into the workforce for them to be able to talk about those things in a productive way could help them. So let's start with the hope side of it. Like what gives you hope in terms of what you're seeing? I think the technology mentality of, you know, the newer generations in the workforce mm -hmm. is really going to help change the landscape of how we deliver. You know, I cope, I adapt. I think I do reasonably well you for do. a woman you of do. my age. <laughs> you do. Uh, of my experience, let's yep. put it that way. Um, but I think there's a lot of exciting things that could be done through using technology, both from the way that we communicate with our people and also just with the way that work gets done. What I appreciate a lot about the technology piece is that it takes some of the less exciting work and mm -hmm. makes it, you know, yeah, enabled by technology, which frees up people to do more exciting things. And so I, I really like the just tech savvy mindset of, of the workforce. Yeah, I love that. And then in terms of the development side, what do you see? I mean, I don't know if you, if there are common themes or not, but in terms of what you're seeing that that if there's gaps in their overall competencies or is there any sort of trend or theme that you see there that's consistent it's not really a gap in competencies it's more the willingness to try new things without an end goal mm. and so um interesting willingness to say you know what i want to go try that even if it's not exactly my career path plan i'd like to take a lateral move to try something different to you know, expand my toolkit or, or expand my footprint, but it doesn't necessarily get to an end goal because my personal experience isn't just, you know, managing a large team. That's frustrating sometimes when mm -hmm. people are not willing to see the bigger picture that this, this goal, this move here could help just build your overall capabilities as a professional. Yeah, it's interesting. I like two things to that. One, I was just talking to a group of people the other day around like immediate gratification versus delayed gratification. And the idea of the delayed gratification gives you more time to cultivate the skill or to learn more and to and to find your path versus this immediate need for, you know, whatever that thing is to say, yes, I'm doing good. And yes, I get that next thing. And then the other thing, I don't know, have you heard of the squiggly career concept? There are these two women that they're, they're British. They've written a book. They have a podcast now. But this idea of like, and it, and it is happening more and more where careers aren't necessarily like ladder steps with respect to like, okay, you do this, then you get here, then you get here. It's, it's really morphed and changed. And that to your point around lateral movement 
or even trying something completely different. And so maybe you go, you know, even less of a maybe area of responsibility just because you're trying to gain a new skill and having a more open view to the whole thing. And I think as an industry, we're getting better at career pathing. You know, it's it's like, I think as HR people and as sometimes someone who's asked about career pathing and career models, my counsel is, let's broaden that aperture more and give people more opportunities to do different things. And you can still grow and develop, but it doesn't have to be in that traditional way that people always think about, kind of that lockstep progression. And I feel like that's what my career has done. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've done, you know, I've done a lot of different things and yeah. some of it was, you know, early in my career, very deliberate. I really wanted experience with all of the, all the, the different disciplines of, of talent. So I did recruiting, I did staffing, I did employee relations, yeah. I did uh, performance management. Like I did a lot of different things very intentionally yeah. because I just wanted, and then as I progressed in my career, it was a little bit more unintentional. It was more, oh wait, that looks interesting. Or somebody asked me, yeah, we have a problem that needs to be solved and we want you to come solve it for us. You know, So I did a lot of lateral moves and I do feel like it's made me a better yeah. professional and a better leader because I have experience in a lot of different areas. Absolutely. And I think the other thing that's interesting, I think there have probably been times where you weren't sure, but because someone asked you to solve a problem, you're like, yep, I'll do that. I There were some of, some of my best learning experiences or best experiences were because there was a need and I didn't necessarily want to do it, but I was like, okay, because I'm that I'm a, I'm a yes and person and and ultimately, I figured it would help me with relationships, which ultimately I think everything is like relationships are the key. And then I would find like, oh, wow, this this is so much more than I expected it to be, or this is so much more rich. And I think sometimes we level jump to the extent that we miss what it could be like. So going in open-minded, going in like not thinking like you have all the answers right. and that the experience could be something more than you thought it was going to be. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're like, yeah, that was crap. <laughs> I, I, knew was gonna, again. I knew it was going to be crap. <laughs> but sometimes it can surprise you. And then it's like, oh yeah, it's, it doesn't, it's not like you always know the exact outcome until you go through it. Tell me a little bit about soft skills. We, uh, as you know, I'm super passionate and you've been kind enough to have me come and work with your team. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the book and we did some really cool exercises. I, I'm curious as someone, again, who has great access to, to a lot of teams, when you think about critical soft skills and you think about soft skills that have helped people, I'm, I'm really interested in the context of how does it differentiate people in their performance and how to soft, because I, I'm a believer that soft skills can do that. They can be a great differentiator. So from where you sit and the world that you're in, what are the soft skills that have the most impact that you think can differentiate performance? I think the ability to tell a story, to bring someone along a journey, um, to bring a concept to life in a way that resonates. Mm. Much easier said than done. That's It's a true <laughs> skill, but yeah. I think that's when you really that's when somebody really can, can exercise their influence if they can create something and bring something to life for others. And I do think that there's sometimes there's a tendency for people to get overly technical, you know, overly specific about something that doesn't maybe matter to the audience and being able to understand what matters to the audience mm. and to focus on those things. 
How, yeah, tell me a little bit more about that because I feel like that's something you've done very well too. So in terms of what matters to the audience or recognizing what's going to get the room to yes or how do you, this idea of like influencing to that outcome, what are some of the things that have worked in terms of interpreting the audience or what are the things you look for or you want people to look for? In Okay, let me ask a clarifying question yes. here. So like in the moment or just maybe preparation? Maybe both. Maybe so, both. Preparation and then in the moment. So I think for preparation, I I don't think it's just don't go into a room cold. Make right. sure I mean make yeah. sure that you know a what you're talking about. Make sure you understand the motivations of the people that you're talking to, which might mean some pre meetings, some one on one, some dropping by their office or calling them. You know, just let me pick your brain on a couple of things because if you walk in cold and you've misread what their end goal mm. is, then you have to pivot in the moment and it's better to be prepared. So I think that's one of it. Um, the other is just being able to do two things. One is to read people. And you know, Zoom's been very helpful for someone like me where we have historically worked a lot over the phone. Now we're working in Zoom, so I do get those, some of those visual cues from people. Um, but being able to recognize when people are reacting in a way that you weren't mm -hmm. expecting them to react. The other is to be more focused on getting feedback than giving information. So mm. I do see a lot of people go in and say, okay, here's the, here are the eight things that I need everybody to know. So I'm just going to say all eight things instead of having a strategy about how you parse information out and get feedback and gain gain agreement on this piece and then you can move to this piece and that is how you really get mm. to an effective answer and get to effective conclusion is by and I feel that. like what you're describing there is a strategy to it and it's almost as much time have you spent creating your content and pulling together your materials how much time are you spending on what you just described in terms of the strategy of going into that? How am I going to facilitate this conversation? How am I going to weave in where I know people are to that certain thing? I was talking to someone the other day about a, a coaching client who is about to meet with some colleagues and she's trying to figure out how to approach that conversation. And, and we got to this part where it was like, you know, you know what you want your end result to be, you want the people that's part of that discussion to feel like they're with you on the journey and they get there without you having to say it. That's to me, like when that's that sweet spot or if someone says, you know what we should do? And it was the thing that you wanted all along and you're like, yes. But that takes a certain level, like to your point around the preparation and thought and analysis and critical thinking to figure out how are you going to do that? And patience. Yeah. And patience. You're very, you're way more patient than I would. I, I so much more, but like, why can't I want to just circuit like short circuit easily 10 conversations. I still have people. I mean, like, you're people, very, you're good at that. I have people that have worked for me for years that still sometimes will I am me and go, you know, this is what we wanted to accomplish. Like, are you, I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Trust me. I know like, what I'm trying to call. Like, just <laughs> let me get there. I'm going to get there. <laughs> It's good. It served you well. I think it's a very, it's a good reminder and uh, it's a good, you know, that consensus building and, and being patient, uh, kind of patient wins the J. And sometimes you can, gosh, you can get diverted or reroute the whole thing if you don't do that part up front. So that's great. All right. And then let's talk just a little bit about, you know, when you think you've had all this experience, you've had different roles and different opportunities, you've had these different growth moments. So for you, 
when you're sitting with young Antoinette and you have your arm around her, the 25, 27-year-old Antoinette, oh. uh, what, what would you tell her that would either, you know, make the path a little bit easier or just some counsel that you think she could have benefited from at that time? Young Antoinette was put in a position where she led other people very early. So around 25, 27 <laughs> is when I first started managing people. And I think I would tell her that be gentle. Mm. Um, it doesn't have to be done your way. It just has to be done. And your role is more, a large part of your role is helping, enabling people to be their best selves. And I think, I don't think that's something I realized a little bit later in my career. And now it's something I really enjoy. It's, mm -hmm. it's, I get most of my, I think, personal satisfaction from work from building people and watching people grow in their careers. But I was a little heavy handed early on. <laughs> And Teresa's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> well, right. And I think, like, your point around maturity, but also I said something the other a while ago to, to a group of people that are newer leaders around you want to be working yourself out of a job. Yes. And I think when you're you just got the job, it's there, there's an insecurity there. What happens if I work my, you know, if, if this, these people get better than me? I think it's a very natural feeling to say, like, Sure, I'm going to shape and grow and develop these people, which I'm just going to be tossed because they're going to be able to do it. And that's that whole, you, you have to have belief in the path of strengthening and developing others because there's always going to be something else for you to do. Yeah. There's always going to be, whether it's where you are currently or potentially another place or, you know, that's, I think that's that fixed mindset versus growth mindset of like, anything's possible. When I never want to be in a position where I can't go do something I want because yeah. I haven't created the right kind of succession for myself. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you. This was so easy. Was it? <laughs> it was. It was for me. I don't know. Yeah, it was so easy. And I really appreciate your time. And I feel like really good context and like good sound pieces of advice for people. So thank you. Thank you so much, Anjanette, for joining me. I really enjoyed having you on the show and having the opportunity to chat with you. Loved your comments about the importance of reading your audience, telling a compelling story, and the power of honest and constructive feedback. Plus, I'm now really hopeful for our future leaders after hearing your perspective on their tech acumen. <laughs> uh, thank you to Missy for producing this episode and to Hannah for your support. A big thank you to our Relatable community. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe and rate us on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills. You can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected. <laughs>